Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact all of us every single day. We're going to hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Tilden. I'm joined, of course, by Dr. David Kipper. He's the one with the medical degree. David, how are you? I'm great, Peter. And yourself? I'm very, very good. And Anna Vicino, who looks, you look really good today. You look rested. Your skin looks radiant. I think I turned up the Zoom, you know, mask my appearance thing. So oh. it's all spoken mirrors, but thank you. Is that why I can't make out your mouth? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, I'm just floating <laughs> eyes. <laughs> By the way, I like when people turn up their appearance so much that you can't exactly tell who they are. Like I think I'm so going to turn done. this one up even more just to just to do that. But today, my setting, by the way, my setting goes up to liver spot. I go to liver. I hit liver spot to make it just left. a full facial full liver yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah, just one yeah. liver a crew spot. comes in. <laughs> you know, I feel like we used to see liver spots like the phrase liver spot talked about in ads a lot. A lot and it, you don't hear that phrase anymore. David, do people not have liver spots anymore? Absolutely. They do. But there's a way to get rid of them. There's a way to tone them down. How do you let's okay, let's hold off on the, everyone here suddenly got interested. If everyone and also wants to tone down your 40, liver spots. <laughs> anybody over 45 who's lived in the sun for more than a day. So talk to us. You laser them. How much does it cost and how much does it hurt? $14. And it <laughs> really hurts. I, I have no you, idea. That's $14 not... and you give them to a guy named Lewis on a street corner in Encino. Okay. <laughs> Due to the length of today's liver spot programming, we now join Bedside Matters already in progress. There's a new topical, a topical application for erectile dysfunction. And then we're also going to be talking about some new uh, identifying markers for Parkinson's in African-Americans. And this just happened. This is rocking. A new drug to prevent heart attacks. And then we got a caller about MS in our Hey, What About Me segment, which could be you. So listen carefully, you can ask that question. So let's start with the first topic today. Topic on a topical of a topic. Topical for erectile dysfunction. Do tell. And it is topical. Uh, over 50% of men complain of and have erectile dysfunction. And it can be caused organically with an illness. It can be caused psychologically. It can be mild. It can be severe. And what's interesting is that the global market for these drugs that are currently available is currently about $3 billion. And in the next few years, it's going to double. So this is a really interesting player. Which double because of the aging population? For a lot of reasons, yes. And primarily that, Peter, yes. Tell us more about this scream. Is it going to be affordable? It's already been approved somewhere, right? It's been approved in England. And just to mention what it is replacing, and I'm going to tell you how it works. Good question. But currently what we have are these pills. We have Cialis, we have Viagra, we have shots that you can put directly into the penis, and we have implants. So if you think about that list, it's a welcomed relief for men to know that there's something topical. And this is called Aroxon, and it was FDA approved in June. It's been around in England for a while. And it's the first topical treatment that you can get without a prescription. It comes in a gel form, single-use tubes. You rub it, this is to your question, Anna, how does it work? You rub it on the head or glands of the penis before sex. It works in about 10 minutes. And it works for all cause issues, meaning it works for organic issues. It works for psychological. It works for mild. It works for severe cases of this. Uh, so clearly this is broadening the 
treatment spectrum for this problem. Is it like a vasodilator or like how, what's going on to get the erection going? You're so smart. So the gel is a combination of solvents. And when it's applied, it stimulates the nerve endings in that area. And that reaction creates the release of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a molecule that's produced in the body that relaxes the smooth muscle in the penis, which increases the blood flow, which is what you need to get an erection. And there's more. It can maintain the erection by doing another thing, which is inhibiting the breakdown of this enzyme. It's called cyclic GMP, and that relaxes, cyclic GMP relaxes the smooth muscle. So by inhibiting the breakdown of that, it's the smooth muscle stays relaxed longer, and therefore you can maintain the erection. Well, but so what happens, you have it on the, the, the tip of your penis, it dissipates in, does its work, but what is the effect on a female? Because you're inserting into an exposed female area. What if it's not completely absorbed? Is there a negative there or is there a reaction? I'm sure they figured this oh, out. That's the question I should have asked. Yes. Or it yes. wouldn't have been risk. Yeah, because you think, well, wait a minute, but you're getting the medicine too. So, And you're assuming that it's the female that's the reciprocant, but whoever the reciprocant may be, it doesn't affect the partner. Because the drug is already dissipated or because that drug would have no effect? Yes, the drug evaporates very quickly. So the topical effect is gone pretty quickly. And side effects, almost none. And only in a percentage of 1% to 3% of people get side effects. Is there like the the 12-hour boner? Like, you know, some people get the, if they take the Viagra or Cialis and then they just get the boner that lasts for hours, is this going to happen with this? No, this is probably a 30-minute deal. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and thank you. Everybody thanks you for using the medical terms when asking that question. We really appreciate Did that. Did you say vasodilator? <laughs> Did you say that this episode? I missed that this episode. Yeah, I heard how brilliant you were. But um, David, is this any kind of breakthrough? This is huge money for this company. This is huge and relatively inexpensive. I mean, they, they haven't priced it here in the U.S. It's going to be on the shelves any minute. And in the UK, where this has been around a long time, it's $8 for one of these little tubes. So Dave, before we move on, people may not know, and I don't know, what's the difference between the Cialis and the different ones? Do they work? Does Viagra work for certain people and not others? Does Cialis work for some people? And why, if it does the same thing to that general area as far as relaxation and blood flow, why wouldn't any of them work the same way? They do work the same way, Peter, and they do work basically on the same principle of uh, nitric oxide, but they all have very similar mechanisms of action. The difference between these medicines is that Viagra, they have different half-lives. So Viagra might last a little bit longer than Cialis. Cialis in different doses can last a little bit longer than Viagra. There's a third member of that group, which is called Levitra, which unfortunately came out after Cialis. So it was the third one on the block and the first two worked. So very few people ask for or take Levitra, but they all have the same basic mechanism of action. They have different side effects. Some people are affected worse by one over the other. So that's how it differentiates. Uh, Okay. All right. But they all work the same for somebody. If it's going to work, One's going to work for somebody. The others will work for the same well, person. And I would think that the other, the pill companies would be shaken in their boots a bit to have this sort of competition that's so easy and over the counter, right? 
it's going to be pretty interesting. But I, what's going to happen, fortunately, is the prices are going to come down for the other pills. And the other thing that's going to happen, which is interesting, we use the Viagra and the Cialis, primarily Cialis, for men that have an enlarged prostate because it shrinks the prostate. This is not likely to do this because it's not systemic. It doesn't go through the bloodstream. It stays topical. So for that indication, I don't think Aroxon is going to be the product. Hmm. Cialis lives to see another day. And you know what? The other part of that, though, is for all men who have to get, who can't go over the counter. Now they don't have to tell anybody. They can just get it covertly. The other way, you have to tell somebody, go see a doctor, deal with somebody. If, so if there's an embarrassment issue for a percentage of the population, they're going to come out of the woodwork for this, right? That's a very real issue in a doctor's office. It's very uncommon for a man to say to me, by the way, you know, I've heard about, and it's the, the foreplay in that conversation is really interesting. And, you know, you cut it off pretty quickly because you know where they're going, but it is an embarrassing conversation. And you'd be surprised that a lot of women will ask about this for their partners, for their husbands. And so they seem to have an easier time than the men asking that question. And then again, I see, and we should move on, but I see another issue, societal issue, which is really interesting. And this we could explore in the future at some point, but all of a sudden the couple's not having that much sex and that's their rhythm and they're used to that. Comedians always joke about it. Joan Rivers used to joke about it. Now a 90 year old is like the wife, they haven't had sex in 20 years and all of a sudden Viagra came out and it's like, I'm, I'm ready to go. It changes the whole dynamic psychologically in the relationship and expectation for sex. And now that I can have it, are you are you as turned on as I am or not or what? So all of a sudden, you're dealing with issues you may not have dealt with for a while. And a lot of men will keep that secret from their wives or their girlfriends or partners that they're taking a pill. It's, it's very common that they don't let their partner know they're taking it for whatever embarrassment that is. Mm. This one... There, there's no getting away with this one because you have to get going in 10 minutes. So this or will, you just buy a will, whole bunch of it. <laughs> you just have to, or it's Howard. Like, what are you doing in the corner? Nothing. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So interesting. It's going to be All fascinating. Right. Yeah. Right. We'll, keep, we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Wow. All right. Moving on. We are discussing. I, I like that they're doing some genetic testing and they're getting diverse with their genetic testing, because it looks like they found some more gene markers for folks of African descent for Parkinson's. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, this is very exciting. Peter, you studied Parkinson's, right? Yes, I did. And this is very exciting news, but it's 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 exciting on a couple different levels. And first of all, they did through some diversity in their genetic studies they had a breakthrough for African-Americans that were at risk for Parkinson's. And the NIH studied over 200,000 people, and they did a study from very diverse groups. And they studied people for five years, but they, they looked at populations in Africa, England, and the U.S. They found one very specific gene variant of the GBA1 gene. And the GBA1 gene was known to be uh, a genetic marker for Parkinson's, but they found a variant in that gene when they tested African-Americans. And so this, this brought up several different issues. And 
since the previous genetic studies for the GBA gene were done in Northern Europeans, and now we're looking at a different demographic, what else have we missed? I mean, it really brings to bear this question about when we are doing studies on different populations, we need to be more inclusive. And this mm -hmm. is something that's been in the medical literature for quite a while now that we're not really getting the full picture. And so treatments and diagnostics that may be appropriate for one demographic may not be uh, as sophisticated for others. And the goal is if you can identify these specific mutations, right, in, in, in this case, a mutation to that GBA1, you can then potentially create very specific and personalized treatment for African-Americans with Parkinson's. So it opens up several conversations. For sure, and gives you different ways to look out of the box also, because you get more variants that you didn't know and more information you didn't know. And then with adding AI into that in the future, and hopefully we'll have a wealth of information for treating underserved communities that don't get treated because they don't, they're not even in the analytics, which is pretty amazing. That's exactly right, Peter. And that's where AI, again, is going to come in. I just want to mention, too, for people that have Parkinson's in their family and they're not African-Americans or they are African-Americans, we've also identified for a while a gene called the LRRK2. <laughs> Write that down. And that gene's been associated with Parkinson's. And we've known about that gene for a while. But I do think now we're going to go back and look at that gene and see if there are some, some variants that we're missing. And that gene is common. It's one in 100 people with Parkinson's disease carry this gene. Wow. It is also what we think now more common in African Americans and Ashkenazi Jews. But I think it's going to open that up. And the reason this one's important is that this gene mutation, if you have this, you're 75% likely to be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease by the time you're 80 years old. Mm. So this is going to open up not just for Parkinson's disease, but all these other genetic studies that we're doing. Incredible. And and that's not even the breaking news we had this week. Catch this. In This Just Happened, they now are implying that there may be a drug that could be used. It's a drug that's been around a long time, a drug to prevent heart attacks, which would be amazing. I love doing this part of the show, not to know, like the other part of the show, but how many breakthroughs? I mean, we have breakthroughs every week. And, and, and how the acceleration of this, David. So heart, how would this impact heart disease? This is really very exciting. And the study of this drug has been going on for several years, but it's now finally reached FDA approval. It was always curious to me why people that had high cholesterol, some people, never got heart disease. So just having high cholesterol doesn't mean you are going to have a heart attack. So there was something missing in this equation that connected the dots between high cholesterol and heart attacks. And the answer, Peter, you said it is inflammation. So the genetic predisposition, I think, is about inflammation. So those that are genetically predisposed probably are predisposed to this inflammation. We have other things we know that can cause inflammation. Uh, smoking can cause this, diabetes can cause this. But these two stimulants for coronary disease work by interfering with the internal lining of the blood vessels in the coronaries. The drug that Peter referenced is not a new drug. It's called colchicine. We used to use this and still use this for gout. 
somebody gets a gout attack, and I don't know if anyone listening to us has had one, but they'll remember it. It's one of the most painful things we see in medicine. And it generally happens in the toe, in the big toe, but it can happen in other joints. And colchicine is an anti-inflammatory that specifically breaks down these uric acid crystals. And it is now FDA approved for breaking down the inflammation in the coronary arteries. And it's probably about 30% effective in reducing the risk. And it's this is inexpensive because it's been around for a while, right? It's not expensive. It's been around 2,000 years. That's a while. It's <laughs> been around while. forever. There's another interesting part of the story for preventing heart attacks that's coming out. And we're going to be hearing about this very soon. We know that there are lipoproteins in our system. And the lipoproteins, lipoprotein means fat and protein. There are two kinds. There's HDL, the good cholesterol, takes the cholesterol, puts it into the intestinal tract and you poop it out. And the LDL is the bad cholesterol, which accumulates in the arteries and causes the plaques. We have identified for a while another lipoprotein, which is lipoprotein A, and it's a cousin or a family member to the LDL that we already know about. And the lipoprotein A is known to be as problematic for creating coronary disease as the LDL we're currently treating. So we're treating this LDL cholesterol with all these things, with the statins and the shots and uh, a couple other pills are now on the market for this. Now we're going to be able to treat lipoprotein A with a new drug called mevalaplin, and it's going to reduce the lipoprotein A by about 65%, and it's going to do this in two weeks. So this is going to be a really interesting add-on to how we're treating coronary disease. Hi, my name is TJ, and I host a daily radio show. I have a bunch of friends that join me for it every day, and believe it or not, we all still see hope in humanity. Are you one of these people, too? We want to hang out with you. Just search for The TJ Show on your favorite podcasting platform or join us at thetjshow.com. We would love to have you being hopeful about humanity with us. Here's a quick sample of what the show sounds like. Hey, welcome to The TJ As you can tell, you need to hear more of it. Search for The TJ Show, and we can't wait to meet you. We got a caller in our Hey, What About Me segment, which could be you, and we'll tell you how to do that in a minute. But first, here's this week's caller. Hi, Dr. Kipper. I have a question. So uh, we have MS in my family, and I wanted to know if there was anything new that was preventative against MS. Thank you. This is an interesting question, and there is a vaccine that's been created. What? And yes. And before we get into the explanation of how this vaccine works, Peter, Anna, what's your understanding of how a vaccine works? Like it it puts the little dead version of the virus, but it's like enough of the virus that it makes your immune system recognize it. So should the real virus come, it will shut it down? Yes. The immune system does what you said, Anna. You get a little piece of whatever this invader is. The immune system comes out and it creates this generalized inflammation in the system. 
when you think about your COVID shots and what created all those symptoms, that was the immune system giving you inflammation all over your body. It wasn't really the COVID virus. COVID virus gave you some symptoms. Um, so the cytokine storm and all that stuff, right? Is that what they're talking about with the yes, cytokine storm? Exactly right. There are illnesses in the body, like autoimmune diseases, celiac, Anna, MS, that are inflammatory diseases. So these diseases have chronic inflammation. And our current immunosuppressive drugs, which we use to treat those diseases, they dampen the immune response in a nonspecific way throughout the body. And in doing so, that actually makes us a little more vulnerable to certain infections and certain cancers because it takes away our immune response to fight these guys. If we had a vaccine that can dampen down a specific invader protein, this would solve the problem, right? That's what happened. So these researchers at the University of Chicago developed what's called an inverse vaccine that actually dampens the inflammation to a very specific protein in the brain that's associated with MS. Well, because that was my question. It's an autoimmune. So what are you? Yeah. So what are you using? Because it's not like a foreign invader. The body's attacking itself, right? Well, it's it's not really an auto. It may be there may be autoimmunity to this, but there are genes involved that create these and that have some mutations that create these proteins. And so it's beyond just an autoimmune phenomenon. Okay. And these guys were able to do this to reverse a disease that looked like MS in mice by doing exactly this. David, how soon is this, again, people listening with MS or family members, how soon does something like this hit the market that can actually impact? They're doing human trials now on celiac and MS. You know what else is, is really interesting? There's these invading proteins that create this immune response that are very specific. They couldn't figure out how to get these specific drugs to evade the immune response. One of the jobs of the liver is to pick up the glucose, the sugar in your system, and store it as glycogen, which is an energy source. So what these guys did in Chicago was that they tagged this very specific protein to sugar so that it got taken up by the liver. But why the liver? The liver has the ability to differentiate what's a harmless versus a dangerous protein. And so it was able to tag this protein as harmless, which is why it was able to be sent out through the system and wasn't attacked by the general immune system. That's a ama- Hold on. Yeah, I have crazy, questions. Right? I have questions. So as somebody with celiac, obviously, this is extremely personally interesting to me. Hopefully it will be to you too, listeners. So usually when the idea of taking a vaccine is so that you never get the thing, like we have the measles and the diptet and all the things, so we don't get those things. They're testing on people who are already experiencing autoimmune issues with MS and celiac, correct? Correct. So it's an ongoing inflammatory disease, as is celiac, but it's an ongoing inflammatory disease that affects different parts of the body. So it may start out affecting the optic nerve. I'm talking about MS now. Or it may start out affecting a certain limb in the body. But as the disease progresses, the disease then takes on 
goes after myelin in other parts of the body. So the disease is progressive and gets worse. So by isolating how to go after this and mitigate this, it may not correct what's happened. It's not going to rebuild the myelin that's already been destroyed, but it's going to keep the body from forming more of these uh, inflammatory issues. Right. Wow. So that's why if you have to already have issues or have a diagnosis to participate in these studies. I assume so. Yes. And not be like predisposed to it. And then they just wait and study your whole life to see if you get it. I makes I know it's, it's dumb when I say it out loud, but I had to, I had to just follow that train of thought. Thank you. No, but I, I think if you're listening and you have a family member with MS or celiac disease, it's probably worth a call to the University of Chicago. And this research team is certainly well known at this point. And maybe there's a clinical trial that you could get into. But this is this is happening. The trials are ongoing. Wow. I mean, I feel like it's happening at the University of Chicago so that all the celiacs that once they're cured, they could go eat some deep dish. That's my theory. And I'm here for it. Nah, New York. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Don't be let's, so let's... angry. New Yorkers <laughs> yeah, great, do not great. tweet at us. But if you do have a question for Dr. Kipper, please make sure that you go to bedsidematters.org, enter your question there, and you might just get it answered on the air. Yeah, Chicago pizza is not real pizza. Let's do a recap. Today, we discussed a pretty amazing breakthrough topical erectile dysfunction treatment. Cheap, accessible, over-the-counter. It works. And be ready in 10 minutes and plan on 30 minutes of fun. Love it. Love it. And then there's been some gene research to show markers for Parkinson's in uh, folks of African descent. Expanding our demographics and how we're looking at these genetic variants has now opened up the door for African-Americans with Parkinson's, which will then open a door, hopefully, for very targeted and personalized treatments for this group of people with Parkinson's. And in this week, this just happened, a new drug that may actually prevent heart attacks. Colchicine, we used to use it for, and still do, for gout. It's an anti-inflammatory, takes the inflammation out of the arteries. And it's also cheap. It's also been around longer than me and Peter. And ask your doctor if you have heart disease and you're being treated with a statin drug or some other cholesterol-lowering agent, you're a candidate for this. Not everybody can take it, but most people can. If you're hearing this and you bring this up to your doctor and they're like, well, I've never heard of that. What do you, what is something that you can say to your doctor? Because, well, I heard Dr. Kipper on bedside, Matt, because something that's going to happen because you're at the cutting edge of this stuff and not everybody, you know, going to walk into their doctor's office and be like, I don't want to do the statin. I want to do this thing. What, how do you recommend people deal with that? There's a very simple answer to that. Anna. as soon as the FDA approves these medicines, which it just did for colchicine for this purpose, Great. you can be sure that the drug companies are going to let people know that it's out there. Okay. So if you're reading anything in the media, it's going to be out there. David, new uh, shot for MS? Yes, an inverse vaccine. It's a vaccine that targets the immune response in a different way by dampening the immune response, not accelerating the inflammation. And they were able to connect this to a protein that's associated with MS. And these studies are now going on to see how we can mitigate the progression of multiple sclerosis, celiac, and other autoimmune diseases. This is great stuff. 
I love doing this. I'd like to thank Dr. Kipper, whose book is, of course, Override. And that's about discovering your brain type, why you do what you do, how to do it better, and how to stop doing the stuff you don't want to do. And Anna Vicino, she's got you check out AnnaVicino.com. She's got the Eat Happy Kitchen, the recipe box, the sauces, the spices, the cookbooks. Thank you for listening to Bedside Matters. If you're sick and tired, I've been sick and tired. We're here to help. We offer you new episodes every Monday. So follow us, like us, have a great week, and try a real piece of pizza from New York. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.